Well, we gather here today uh, to celebrate the linchpin of our faith. Uh, just the other day I was having to go get some uh, materials uh, for some work that I was doing on uh, our house. And so I uh, hooked up my trailer, <clears throat> got my hitch out, uh, hooked up the trailer, uh, and took off to Lowe's to uh, get some supplies that, that, that I needed. And I was thinking, you know, I, I could have done everything right in hooking up that trailer, uh, but left out one thing, and it would have, I would have never made it. It wouldn't, wouldn't have worked. If I'd left out that linchpin that holds that uh, hitch into the back of my truck, uh, I would have taken off and the trailer wouldn't have gone anywhere. As we think about today, as we think about what we celebrate on Easter, uh, we celebrate the linchpin of our faith. What, what holds it all together, what we put our focus on and put our attention on, is the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That that tomb is empty today. Uh, and that becomes the, the linchpin of what we do. Paul talks about that in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then everything we do, everything we believe as Christians means nothing. It's foolishness. But because he has risen from the dead, it means everything. And so Easter is that special day. Uh, every Sunday should be a reminder to us. The new start of the week should be a reminder to us of the new beginnings we have in Christ. Every day uh, we should be reminded of the new beginnings that we have, uh, that Christ has given to us. But we know that we need these special days of reminders, these annual holidays such as Christmas and Easter uh, to remind us in a very special way, a very powerful way, the importance of what we believe and what we do. Uh, and so I'm excited about getting to worship with you today and to continue this time together. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, open up uh, to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, we're looking at a passage. I've never preached on this passage of Scripture uh, for an Easter message, but as I was reading through and studying through my preparation for uh, our study through the book of Matthew, this is really a perfect passage uh, to study today uh, as we think about uh, eternal life, as we think about uh, Easter and what today is really all about, what it represents. And so let's look together at God's Word. Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to begin in verse 16, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your, love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? 
But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Uh, today in our text, we're not going to be able to delve into everything that's in this text this morning, uh, but in our text today, we're going to see that Christ gave a good answer to a bad question. And now this morning, uh, I was getting some Easter uh, text on my phone, and my brother, and I don't, I don't think he knew what I was going to preach this morning, I hadn't told him uh, the text, I hadn't told him the title uh, of my message or anything, but he uh, sent me a little cartoon on my phone, and this is what it said. It had Jesus uh, standing up before a crowd, it looked like he was uh, teaching, and it just simply said this, Jesus said, love everyone no matter what. And then it shoots to the next scene, and there's a, a crowd of people down there, and there's, there's one bearded guy, uh, looks like probably a Pharisee, uh, but uh, somebody in the crowd, and he's got a beard, he's got the uh, robe on and all that, and he raises his hand, and he says, what if that person has tattoos? And then it shoots back to Jesus, standing up and looking at him, and he says, yes, even those who ask stupid questions. Uh, appropriate for my message today. Uh, I, I'm not saying this is a stupid question. I learned in school uh, there are no stupid questions, and, and I agree that questioning is good. I question almost everything. Sometimes to a fault I will question everything, uh, thinking of different ways and different means and what if and uh, if only and all those kinds of things. And so we learn in school that questions are good, and, and, and questions are good. We, we should be asking questions. This man asked <clears throat> Jesus a question. He goes to the source, and he asks him a question. But there are bad questions. And this is a bad question. Here is the basis of a, of a bad question. A bad question leads either from or to a negative outcome. Now, I did not verbalize this when I was a child. In fact, I don't really remember doing this, but my parents told me that I did this. Uh, as a small child, I must have been probably three, four years old, something like that, uh, I picked up a rock, and I chunked it at one of the windows in our house. And the rock went through the window. And so my mom came out. She says she came out. She said, Danny, why did you do that? And I said, well, I wanted to see what would happen. I had a question. If I take a rock and throw it at this window, what will happen? Well, that's a bad question. I didn't verbalize that, but it was a bad question because it was going to have a negative outcome no matter what happened. So uh, I shouldn't have asked that question. So there are bad questions. And this is a bad question because this is a flawed question. I'm glad he asked it, and it's a good thing he asked it, but it's a bad question. Again, it's good that the man's inquiring. But he has a flawed perspective here. And this comes to the heart of what we celebrate here at Easter. Now, Matthew's phrasing of the question here, this is also this story uh, with some variations, is found in both Mark and Luke's Gospels. Uh, 
Matthew phrases the question this way. The man says to him, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now he's asking about eternal life, and I hope and pray that each one of us is asking and thinking about eternal life. My prayer is that, especially on Easter, but hopefully every day, but especially on Easter, people are not just thinking about Easter eggs and bunny rabbits, but you're asking yourself about eternal life and what eternity looks like and why Jesus had to come and why he had to die and the importance of the risen Savior, the empty tomb. I hope you're asking those questions. But this man asked this question in a way that it's built on a flawed perspective, and uh, it's built on a flawed perspective because of two things. The first one is because he asked, what good deed? Now, he comes out of the mentality of an Old Testament mentality. Uh, As he's asking this question, the New Testament is just now being lived out, okay? The Gospels talk about the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he's asking this question during that time of while Jesus is walking on this earth. And so he's thinking Old Testament. He's thinking sacrifices. He's thinking going to the temple. He's thinking about all the things that he is required to do in order to remain in good standing as a Jewish person. But he comes with it from a perspective of a works mentality. What good deed? Tell me the good things that I need to do. Give me a list of do's and don'ts so I can check the boxes. And I can say I did this or I didn't do this. It's ultimately the question comes from the basis of what actions can I do, not who do I need to be. And so that leads to a a false narrative there, a a flawed perspective. Uh, I just finished studying a few months ago, uh, teaching in Africa on the Reformation. And the kickstart to the Reformation, October the 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to the church door there, He'd actually written about a month or two earlier uh, 97 theses based on salvation and what salvation meant, and that just kind of fell flat. Nobody even wanted to discuss that. But uh, on October 31st, he nailed up there uh, on on that church door 95 theses that dealt with indulgences, the sale of indulgences. And the problem with indulgences, those 95 theses, at the heart of those uh, 95 theses is the fact that uh, it, it led to man being focused on actions rather than on the heart. There were actually some people that would pay ahead their indulgence. They knew that the weekend was coming up and they were probably going to do things they shouldn't do. And so they just went ahead and paid ahead to pay for their sins before they even committed their sins. That's what that led to. And so it's a flawed mentality to think that there's some kind of good deed that I can do to kind of pay off or pay up for my sins. And that's what that man is asking. What good deed needs to be done? So that's the first part of the bad question here. It's a works mentality. It's about deeds and actions, not about a change of heart and life commitment. The second part of the bad question is, he goes on to say, what good deed must I do? He's focused on himself. This is a self-centered perspective. Uh, It really reflects on his self-reliant nature. 
Jesus addresses this man, and in verses 23 through 24, uh, you, you see here that this man is, is a wealthy man. So obviously he's done well, whether it was inherited or whatever. He still has wealth. He's still self-reliant. He's able to provide for himself. He's not having to ask for handouts in life. He's, I'm sure, has a nice home and he has plenty of food and all those kinds of things. So he's depending on himself. And so he's asking Jesus about eternal life. And he's saying, Jesus, what must I do? Because I can do this. I can handle this. It's all about me. And so Jesus addresses this about why it's so hard for rich people to get into heaven. Not because it's any different for them. It's not because they have to do anything different than anybody else does to uh, have eternal life, putting their faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But it's hard for those that have much in this world uh, because they can look at themselves and say, well, I've got a nice home. I've got a car that runs. I've got plenty of food. I've got all the things that I need. And so why do I need Jesus? It makes it harder to ask that question. So it's difficult for them. This, it was difficult for this man. And so he says, what must I do? I can handle this. Just give me that list. Give me those commands and, and, and I can do this. And so Jesus very briefly kind of plays into that mentality. He says, all right, obey. And he basically gives him the second half of the Ten Commandments. He says, obey those commandments. And then he kind of knocks the leg right out underneath him. From obeying those commandments. Now, now, Jesus isn't toying with this man. I don't think he's playing with him or, or, or doing something. He's not trying to humiliate this man. What he's trying to help him understand is what he ha has to help us to understand is that it's not about good deeds and it's not about me. It's not something that can be bought either with money or with personal effort. Salvation requires a childlike humility. What has been emphasized several times here in these chapter 19 and also chapter 18 of Matthew's Gospel. That innocence and that dependence upon Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so it's a bad question. I'm glad he asked it, but it's a bad question because it's based on a man-centered process. But Jesus gives a good answer to this bad question. He answers the man because every question deserves an answer. So what does Jesus do here? Again, if you're looking at your Bibles, uh, uh, you can kind of follow through that, that text there. What does Jesus do? Jesus begins by challenging the man's perspective. He comes up to Jesus and says, what good deed must I do? And so Jesus asks him a question, as Jesus often did. Uh, and Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? Now, now he's helping the man to think here. Okay, you're coming to me, asking me a question. And I don't believe this was, you know, we just looked last week at, at the trap that the Pharisees were setting. They asked Jesus a question in order to try to trip him up, in order to try to trap him. I don't really believe this man is coming here trying to trip Jesus up. I don't think he's trying to trap Jesus. And I think it's because we see here in the text before us that Jesus answers him uh, and, and tries to help him change his perspective. And so he, he, the man asked the question, what good deed must I do? And so Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? What he's leading the man to contemplate here and understand the same thing that we have to ask ourselves is, 
he's saying, if you really believe that I can give you a good answer, then you must believe that I'm good, that I'm right, that I'm somebody to be obeyed and followed. You're coming asking me, what is good? What, what do I need to do? So you start with the fact that, do you really believe that I am good? That's one of the starting points for coming to salvation and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Do you believe that He is good? Do you believe He is who He says He is? Are you going to trust in Him and then therefore trust His answers that He gives to you? So Jesus continues this by drawing attention to what the man thought he could do. Okay, basically the second half of the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't murder, don't covet, all those things, honor your mother and your father. Uh, Craig Bloomberg in uh, his uh, comments on this passage of Scripture said that all these things were external and observable commandments, and, and they are. They're things that we can see. Are you honoring your mother and father? Are you listening to what they say? Are you obeying them? Have you murdered anybody? Have you committed adultery? All those things are external and observable, and those are part of the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus starts there, because that, that's where this man's focus is on what I can do what others can see me doing, what I can claim I can do. And, and so he, he does that there. Uh, but, but this man obviously must have missed the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus addresses the, uh, some of the commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and what Jesus says is even those commandments aren't about the action in totality. It's really about what leads to that action. It's not just about not murdering somebody. It's about not hating somebody because it starts in the heart. It starts with the character of who you are. And so this man either hadn't heard of these things or hadn't been there, or he just had missed that the day that Jesus taught that. But it's interesting here that Jesus does not challenge this point. He doesn't go back to this man and say, well, you know, let me take you back to what I said at the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't take him back there. He just kind of says, all right, you got that. Well, I'll take your word for it that you have been obedient in those areas. So Jesus kind of sets him up, and I'm sure the man's kind of thinking, well, I'm doing pretty good. He, he says, but what else do I, he, he knows there's still something else missing. Just as most people do. People that are trying to earn their salvation, they may not verbalize it. But if you know you're relying upon yourself for your salvation, you know there's something missing. You know there's a piece that's just not right. And this man, will take him at his word, he was a good man. He obeyed the second half of the Ten Commandments. He was good to the people around him. He honored his mother and his father. But he knew there was something more. There was something missing in his life. And so Jesus helps him to understand this. I like Mark's gospel uh, in this passage. In Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 21, uh, we're told this that in Jesus' answer to this man, it says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him. Now, Mark's, or Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel don't have that bit of information there. But it's important to realize that Jesus looked at this man and he loved him. He wants him to get it. 
He wants him to, to understand what it takes to really have eternal life. Jesus isn't trying to weed people out and trying to keep people away. Jesus loves this man, and he desperately wants this man to, to understand what is needed for salvation. So Jesus looks at him, loves him, and he says, What you're doing, the things that you're doing, you're doing that are, with, are the things that are within your power to do. Jesus says, you've got to learn to let go and completely trust in God. The good answer to this question here is that Jesus says that eternal life is all about Him. It's not God and me. It's not a joint partnership. It's not that God does certain things and then I'm doing certain things in order to earn my salvation. It's not a God and me. Ultimately, it's a God in me. God having complete control of my life. My complete dependence on Him for my salvation. And so, even though Jesus didn't ask it this way, what Jesus says to the man, He says, you've got to go sell all your possessions... Don't put the money in a bank account for savings for, you know, later use possibly in case things don't work out. Take all your possessions, sell them, give it all to the poor, give it all away, and then come and follow me. Really what Jesus is saying to this man is, look at the first part of the Ten Commandments. Let's look at the first four commandments and the very first commandment that we are given, uh, given here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, where Jesus Christ, or where God says, and you shall have no other gods before me. You know, if we can get that one commandment down, we can get the rest okay. We, we can do the others. Have no other gods before me. God is first. God is foremost in everything that is said and done. And so that's really ultimately where Jesus is drawing this man here. Go and sell everything you have because you're worshiping your money. You're worshiping your self-reliance on the things that you can do. That's why you asked me, what good deed must I do? Jesus, I got this. Just give me the list. And Jesus says, no, it's not about a list. It's not about what you can do. It's about what I can do, what I will do, and what I have done in you. So you shall have no other God before me. Are you willing to do that? So the man asks, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And what Jesus answers, the good answer to this question that Jesus gives is he says, let go of your dependence on your finances. Let go of that dependency on money and resources. Let go of that self-dependent thinking that you have in your own mind. Let go of getting that list out of your mind of, as long as I do these things and don't do these things, then I'll be in good shape. Let go of that self-dependent thinking. Let go of what you think you can do and trust completely in the promises that I've given you. The passage tells us that this man went away sad that day because he couldn't let go of what he had 
and what he thought he could do. So, at least on this day, he missed salvation. He missed the opportunity to know Jesus Christ and to serve him. Now, the disciples come back and say, listen, we've given up everything. What about us? Well, the question I hope you're asking yourself today is, what do I need to do to have eternal life? The disciples say, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then are we going to have? And, and so Jesus answers that question. For the disciples, he says, you're going to have a special place in my kingdom. And he says, and to everybody else, you're going to have a forever family. You may, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, and, and when he calls his disciples, he says, you're going to have to abandon some people. I, I, I'm going to cause division in families. There's going to be a mother and a brother and a father and a sister that are going to be separated because some choose to follow and some refuse to follow. But he says, if you will commit your heart and your life to me, if you'll trust in me, if you'll sell everything you have, and, and he's not saying everybody has to sell all their earthly possessions for this man, that's what needed to be done. But he says, if you'll let go of your self-dependence, whatever you are putting as a God before me, if you will get rid of that and trust in me completely, yes, you may lose some things in this world. You may lose some relationships. You may lose some finances. You may lose some security in this world. He says, but I will give you a forever family. A family here in this life, but even so much more in eternity you'll have that forever family. And I will give you a forever home as well. John's Gospel, John chapter 14, we're told here, uh, um, Christ giving his uh, disciples instructions just before he's about to, uh, to go to his arrest and ultimately his crucifixion uh, and his death. And in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, we're told this. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus Christ promises his disciples a forever family and a forever home with him. That's the essence of what we believe and trust in when we give our complete dependence on him. A bad question because it was based on what he could do but a good answer in that Jesus says, trust in me, believe in me. And he would prove that that belief was well-founded on Easter Sunday morning because he went to his death on Friday, but on Sunday morning he rose again. And that's what we celebrate today. And that's why we can have hope in eternal life when we put our trust in him as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you we thank you that you are who you are, that you have done and accomplished the things that you said you were going to do. And we thank you that that gives us hope in this life. Lord, this man's story is a reminder to us that each one of us asks about eternal life. We ask about what is beyond this life. And Father, my prayer is that we will put our hope and trust in you, that we'll believe in you as Lord and Savior, that we will know you, love you, and serve you. 
We pray these things in your Son's most holy name. Amen.